You know, I'm gonna give you a history lesson. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. <laughs> start laughing! And when I do, start fucking. Also, y'all did some nasty ass jokes on my ass, too. Funny jokes and unfunny jokes come out of the same birth. You fucking guys are unbelievable. Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why Are You Laughing, a history of comedy podcast. And today, I am pleased to introduce to you Saturday Night Live firing Shane Gillis, probably the shortest run in SNL history and uh, one of the most talked about, I guess, uh, certainly in recent years, anyways. And actually, if you think about it, other than Pete Davidson, uh, Shane Gillis might be the most discussed cast member uh, in SNL in the last decade or so. Maybe Kate McKinnon you could rival, but uh, never appeared on the show, which is what we'll be discussing today. And figured since he is hosting uh, his redemption arc, uh, for most of you watching it this weekend, um, I figured it was a good time to kind of remember his firing and what exactly happened because a lot of people have used Shane as an example that uh, cancel culture doesn't exist or that it's good for comedians. Um, I, I understand that argument. I don't think it's 100% accurate. So I figured we could go through. And uh, unfortunately, because we're recording this, we're having it come out a few days before Shane hosts SNL. If anything crazy happens, it won't be included in the episode, uh, but we will discuss that on the Blind Mike Project. So for those of you that don't regularly listen to that, make sure to check it out because uh, we'll be going over it that week for sure if anything crazy happens. But we'll discuss uh, my thoughts on that at the end of this episode as well. So uh, we will get into it. But first, I want to tell you guys about blindmike.net because that's where you can go to support this show. Uh, all our free links are there, whether uh, wherever you get podcasts, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google Play, uh, or YouTube. That's where most people seem to be going these days for podcasts. So subscribe on YouTube. Get those numbers cooking, baby. Uh, helps the algorithm like, comment, share, subscribe, all that. And then uh, if you want to support the show even further, you can become a member, whether it's on YouTube or Patreon. Uh, you can subscribe to get bonus content and early releases. So go to blindmike.net for all that. We appreciate it. Um, so, yes, uh, I actually planned later in the year on the five-year anniversary of doing this episode. I figure five years is about as uh, soon as I want to do something. If it's, a, if it's a history podcast, I figure you got to wait at least five years to be like, remember this, guys? I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, yeah, but... Um, you know, it, it's, it's easy to forget some of the surroundings of this story because I happened to be a Shane Gillis fan when he got SNL. And I think if you follow certain podcasts, like I was introduced to him, uh, through real ass podcast hosted by Luis J Gomez, as well as Legion of Skanks. Um, he was doing like come town and things like that. And Luz was always actually very good. That's where I found a lot of these guys, like uh, Nick Mullen, Tim Dillon, uh, guys that are huge now is because of Lewis having them on when they were nobody. So he has Lewis J Gomez probably doesn't get enough credit for fostering a lot of these younger comics that skyrocket past him in the business. But like, that's what the Skankfest is very good at is like giving these guys a name because 2019, I'd say this is not the case anymore. When you look at the biggest comics, comics in the country, guys like Shane, Tim Dillon, Mark Norman, names like that. I don't know that this is necessarily true, but in 2019, it was a time where like Netflix and Saturday Night Live and institutions like that weren't looking at 
straight white men. Yes, I know I named Tim Dillon, but he kind of fits that bill. <laughs> he sounds like um, one. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it was a time where like those guys weren't getting looked at by the industry uh, as much for those type of opportunities. So they kind of had to make their own way. And Shane did that. Like, man, Shane had a small like, a cult following that was building. Um, but not long before he got SNL, I saw him open at Laugh Boston for Dan Soder. So Shane was not even a headliner yet before he got canceled. And that's where this story is a very rare instance and in why it's used as an example so much. Uh, because it's the first time someone got had everything taken away before he had anything. And that's what makes it such a, uh, an interesting circumstance. So uh, let's get into it because uh, we'll, we'll start right at the beginning with his audition for SNL. <laughs> my, my agents and all those people, they were like, you're, do you want to audit or do you want to write? Do you want to send a packet in for SNL? And I was like, no, I'm not going to be a writer. I'm never going to, I won't work on that show. And then I guess they saw me at JFL and Comedy Central thing. And they were like, we like him. We want him to audition. He can come straight into audition. So I went straight to the main stage for the audition. And the whole time leading up to it, I was like, I'm never, I'm never going to get this. I, I don't care. I want to do stand up. I kind of hated SNL at that point because <laughs> every t- every sketch was like, you know, you know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, I'll never fit in there. And then when we, when you go to audition, it's just, you just wait your turn in a green room and they keep you there extra long for like two or three hours to like make you nervous. Really? But I knew I, I was certain I was never going to get it. And I really wasn't nervous. I was in there fucking dipping, hanging out. <laughs> and then they were like, all right, it's your turn to go. But that's when the nerves hit. Like you walk in and you see the main stage. Cause that's what you audition on is like the stage. Wow. And it's a totally empty studio. The whole room's empty except for a table of like writers and producers and Lorne Michaels. And then you go on and they're like, three, two, go do five minutes. Ugh. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago with Will Ferrell, where it's like, Will Ferrell's audition is legendary because he's getting a couple laughs. <laughs> and you you hear it where it's like, boy, in any other circumstance, you'd say, you'd assume this guy must be bombing because it's so silent in there. <laughs> and uh, Shane basically describes he had kind of a similar thing where uh, he wasn't nervous until he was. Like when he, you know, it's, it's one of those things where oh, I don't care about this because it was never my dream to be on SNL. But then the closer it gets to you actually having that opportunity, you're like, it'd be pretty fucking cool to be on SNL. You know, maybe I could be the next Chevy Chase or something. Um, but uh, like he says that uh, he got people to laugh. Like, he actually got laughs. And this is a weird thing where, like, as we'll, we'll talk a lot about this, Lorne must have really loved Shane. Because yeah. I've heard a lot of guys tell this story. Now, maybe the process has changed over the years, too, because these are older guys that I'm thinking of. But I've heard a lot of guys say, like, hey, I'm just a stand-up, so I'm just going to do stand-up. And Lorne or, Lorne or his people say, absolutely not. You have to do, you know, two characters, one sketch, whatever the hell the formula is. Shane was literally able to do five minutes of stand-up. Now, I think I might have heard that Pete Davidson did the same thing. So there maybe that process has changed over the years. But... There, there is clearly where like Lorne, for some reason, picked Shane, like wanted him to have this job. And if it's for the reasons that we all like Shane, it's strange that uh, Shane ended up losing the job. But we'll get more into that as we go along. I do enjoy that he's on Rogan in that off the rack Walmart shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it always adds to it. But uh, 
here he is talking about when he got the call back after the. Yeah. So this was, this was kind of a a process because he had been in the office once and he said they even had like, uh, they brought, I assume who ended up being the three cast members, Shane, Bowen Yang, and whoever the third person was. Uh, and there was a fourth guy that they just told to go home that day. Like they brought him in just to tell him he's not getting it. And Lauren would do things like that to people like Artie Lang is the famous story where Artie Lang got brought in, um, for to Lauren Michael's office and was just waiting there all day, waiting there for hours and hours. And the assistant would go, you know, Lauren, uh, Paul McCartney's on the line. And Lauren's like, patch him through. And Artie's just sitting there <laughs> waiting. And then Lauren just brings him into the office to be like, you didn't get it. You're a mad TV guy. Sorry. <laughs> Artie's like, what the, f- why did you make me sit here? <laughs> but Shane, Shane felt like he pretty much got it after uh, meeting with Lauren. And then he gets the call. A couple of days later, you get a call back and you go into the office and you meet everybody and you walk around and talk to everybody. And the people I was with that were also doing that, then you go into Lauren Michael's office to meet him. So the three people I was with, they all went in slowly, met him, left. One guy didn't even get invited in. They just sent him home, which is fucked up. They invited him to the callback. And then Pause like, real quick. No. I forgot where this clip started, so I apologize for spoiling the whole thing, but let's continue. <laughs> fucked up they invited him to the callback and then we're like no never mind wow and then they kept me there for an extra like hour by myself and i was just sitting there like oh fuck i got this like i'm gonna be on it like this is i can't believe i got this i wasn't even excited i was just like this is wild <laughs> this is fucking nuts <laughs> and then i go in and meet with lauren and he's he's the man he's a nice guy and he was like oh, i'm gonna use you but i don't know how so it seems like he the clearly the reason he wanted Shane was to kind of have something different than what the culture of SNL was. Because you heard Shane in the first clip, it kind of alluded to like, you know what it is. And mm-hmm. the thing that everyone points to, the best example of what SNL became is uh, Kate McKinnon dressed as Hillary Clinton singing Hallelujah. Like Wait. that is a, is a perfect encapsulation of what it turned into, where it was clearly one-sided they didn't make fun of both sides anymore it was a a different thing and they didn't take the risks uh that they had taken for so many years yeah just wait seems waiting for that part to have a joke that never came (laughs) right so it seems like bringing shane in the whole idea was kind of changing that culture getting a different voice in there and i think that would have, I think the idea of like him and Michael Che writing together, coming from different perspectives, I think that really could have worked. Um, there's also a chance, like you know, every we mentioned David Tell on this show all the time. Everyone cites him as you know the comics comic, the greatest comic of this generation. Everything he was a red iron SNL, and you most people probably don't even know that because like it wasn't an impactful thing. Now, Shane being on the cast, maybe that's a different thing, but a lot of people do come and go from that show that end up having good careers, but don't necessarily make an impact on SNL. Now, clearly I think he's talented enough that he would have. And I assume they probably would have had him play Trump instead of Alec Baldwin. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, um I don't, I don't know. At that time, yeah. I don't know either. Yeah. I don't know either because based on his reputation, is it like, well, then we're we're validating Donald Trump or something like that. Like, I think there would have been pushback on that. So it's hard to say, but clearly Lorne liked something about him. Yeah. And one of his first ideas that he said was like, uh, it would have been 
perfectly funny after the last election for him to go out dressed as Trump and sing hallelujah. Right. Which would have been great to see. He should have done it anyway. But uh, next we have him talking about vetting. Yeah. So th- this was like the, the big argument at the time is like, uh, oh, and there were even conspiracy theories. I think it gets mentioned in this podcast. Is this the uh, Ari Shafir podcast that we have? No, no, this is still Rogan. Oh, it's still on. Well, uh, when he was talking to Ari Shafir, I think Steve Renazizi was on and brought up. Um, he's like, it feels like a almost a, a hit job to me because how would they not know who you are? Basically, how could they not just do their cursory research and realize what kind of comedian he was, what kind of podcast he was on, everything like that? Uh, so this is him talking about the vetting process. Lauren calls, says, "Hey, we want to use you on the show. We're going to announce it tomorrow." He was like, do you have anything uh, you want us to check out? Like, they have people that vet you. Right. But they, they're not used to people having podcasts. Right. So they'd have to go through hundreds they, of They go through your Facebook, shit. your Instagram, your Twitter. <laughs> I, I was just like, I'll just delete all that shit. I don't care. Delete it all. Right. But I was like, I also have a podcast. And they're like, yeah, what's that? And I was like, I don't know. I say, like, gay and retard a lot. <laughs> and they, were like, they were like, oh, that's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so I was like, all right, we'll see. <laughs> and boy did we see but uh if you're one like 2019 you might be thinking like that's not late for like the technology of podcasts existed for many years before that what does he mean they weren't used to having people people having podcasts but i guess the idea is that like stand-ups did podcasts to kind of promote their dates right. essentially right. like but improv people didn't do that there was no reason for it um now i think it's more common i think it's more common everywhere you know finance people have pod- like i think people in a lot of different fields have podcasts now that probably shouldn't so it's probably more common in the improv world but at that time it wasn't like a necessity for uh kids at second city to start a podcast so they just weren't used to they didn't i guess now it still seems shane has been very accepting of this logic Mm-hmm. He's just like, well, they, yeah, they weren't used to vetting podcasts. To me, it just it still seems odd in the sense of you can see he was on podcasts called Legion of Skanks and Come Town, right? Like these are shows that weren't hiding who they were, even if you don't know who Louis J. Gomez or Nick Mullen are, you know. Well, I guess so, five, five years ago, I guess that would maybe like now it would be absolutely ridiculous, but. But 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 I'm saying this should come up in like just a Google. So like come down while right. not a household name was making a hundred thousand dollars a month at that time. Right. You know, so I'm just saying like Google searches would show this. You'd think any sort of I'm sure Lauren Michaels has access to a lot more than that uh, for people that could do background checks. And if he's telling you, I say I call people gay and retarded, that should warrant like a deeper search. So. You know, Shane has never blamed them for not doing their background research, but like I kind of do because it seems very easy. You know, like I'm interested in this stuff, so I'm a comedy nerd that might know guys that are more obscure, but it's like I shouldn't know more than Lorne Michaels about anything in the world of comedy. Right. And I knew who Shane Gillis was. You know, he should be very tapped in for sure. Yeah, I would think. So even even though like Shane wasn't a big name at that time, it should be easy enough to figure out uh, who he was. But. Um, now we got a, a, a couple clips of the incident. <laughs> yeah. So these are the clips in question. I'm sure you guys have heard them before, uh, but the, these are the basics of what got him canceled and was published um, 
uh, well, we'll get to who published them, but was published immediately after Shane got the job. Um, and keep in mind, it was announced it was Shane, uh, one other person, and the first Asian American cast member that SNL has ever hired. They never, which is bizarre in itself, they never hired an Asian person before 2019. Um, so that gets announced. And then these clips are found of the Matt and Shane secret podcast. Damn, Chinatown's fucking nuts. It's crazy, dude. It is full fucking China. Dude, it's yeah. fucking Chinese down there. I wonder how that started. They just built one fucked up looking building and people were like, all right, no one said anything. Let Let's the fucking chinks live there, huh? <laughs> well, they built these fucking like huge Shanghai house. The first one must yeah. have infuriated everyone. They were like, I'm, I'm pissed what now. The I go fuck? down there, I'm like, what are you guys doing here? Get these ducks out of that window. I, you know what? Yeah, true. <laughs> also, I'm always like, how can there be so many fucking restaurants down here? All restaurants. Well, because you go in, there's like one person eating ever. That white idiots like me are down there true. sucking down neuters. I hate China. I hate food <laughs> in Chinatown. Don't laugh at that, Craig. It's very offensive. <laughs> There's uh there's one more. It's a it's a it's a longer clip in full, but I think these uh that first bit you just heard and then this next one we're about to play with the two that were cited the most and quoted, I feel like. So th- that's uh, what we're playing. We got in there and we sat down and baby girl was like, I'm so excited for neuters and I was like, Yo, chill, chill, chill. <laughs> she was like, Oh my god, I'm so sorry. She said neuters? Yeah. And there's a fucking yeah, and it's it's full fucking Chinese in there. So the the main thing is the uh, the slur that he used. But like, if you're listening to the whole, there's a few things here. If you're listening to the whole podcast, what whole, Shane's whole character kind of is is pointing out the absurdity of who you would stereotype him as. You right, know, right? Like he comes off as a like right wing hick from the middle of Pennsylvania, basically that has all of these beliefs and he kind of, he, he plays into that. Now, some of them might like politically, maybe some of them are his real beliefs, but he does play into and make fun of the stereotype that is, has been built around guys like him. So he's actually making fun of that. Like he is the target that he's going after much like we talk about with, you know, Archie Bunker or any characters like that where it's he's making fun of wouldn't it be crazy if someone was this ignorant to say that to talk about Chinatown in that way um so i mean that's how i feel about it mm-hmm. now what's interesting to me also though is like th- there there is no winning because now in the last 5 years uh there's not a clip like that of Shane and people are still like, why Why would they now let this bigot to this white supremacist host Saturday Night Live? And it's like, oh, so you're saying even if you stop saying things like that, you're, you're not allowed to, to have this. But we'll get more into that. But that's that. That's what made the news. And now are we showing you who made the news? We sure are. <laughs> OK, so this is where it all stems from, is that in the comedy business, people get very jealous um, and, and there's a lot of judgment of groups of people, which is odd from, from not from the people you would think, not people like Shane. It's actually from people that kind of carry themselves as very liberal, progressive people. They judge you. If you use certain words, certain language, talk about certain topics, um, they've determined that you are scum and need to be wiped off the face of the earth and don't deserve a job. Seth Simons is one of those people. Uh, so let's see this and get a little feel for who Seth Simons is. 
Hello, I'm Seth Simons, uh, director of the Exelano Project. This is a spoken bird poem. It's called Bird. Kaa! Kaa! Kakaa! Yeah, so he's clearly a very talented guy who's been held back in the business by oppressors that are uh, unfunny like Shane. <laughs> Probably second grade. <laughs> it's a guy. It clearly says Seth Simons is a guy that should have gotten a lot further in comedy than he did. But um, he's a very, a very jealous and bitter guy who turned to being like a comedy critic. Now, who would do something like that? But uh, <laughs> Seth Simons is a guy that actually tried a comedy and failed. So he's much more bitter than someone like me, uh, which caused him to have a vendetta against a lot of the podcasts that I named like uh, Nick Mullen. That was uh, one of his earlier targets. And then later he went on to write something that got retweeted by Anthony Jeselnik, who we'll hear from later, oh, um, yeah. where he tried to take down the likes of big J Okerson. Um, so Seth Simon has kind of had this, my guess is he never fit in with that crew of people. It would kind of, it would be like if I did this to, uh, like Portnoy and the Barstool guys. Like I never really fit in there. Mm-hmm. So it would be like if I held on to a lot of jealousy and hostility and saw them get successful and was like, oh, well, they said this once and tried to get him in trouble. That's the kind of guy Seth Simons is. He's not doing it for his own uh, virtuous reasons. He's doing it out of bitterness and jealousy. He also, it came out later that he was what's known in this generation as a sex pest. Yep. Which means he doesn't get violent with women, but I guess he really harasses the shit out of them, trying to guilt them into having sex with them. Um, Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. So I guess you reap what you sow in some of these stories where, even if if it's not true, it means people uh, that were bitter went after Seth Simons. So uh, it's just a never-ending cycle of bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, it's It's not a world that ever really pays off doing that. But Seth Simons was ready to go. He said, hey, if someone like Shane Gillis ever gets something they don't deserve, like SNL, uh, then I will be ready to fire this off. And within <laughs> hours of the announcement, uh, Seth started working on this Substack article that ended up getting circulated around. And a lot of people um, ran with it. And then it was even on CNN. And, you know, Shane was being put in images and headlines with the likes of uh, Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> it's like, you know, can- another- canceled again. <laughs> Which is very funny. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's pretty wild, the life that this took on. And it was kind of a perfect storm of clickbait because what you had was um, you had a cancel culture story, which is always good. It involved Saturday Night Live, this massive brand that a lot of people care about, you know, like liberal and woke people care a lot about it and want to defend it. Right wing people want to bash it because they, they, you know, they want to go after the libs, and it's just another example of uh, the PC police. So it's red meat for them; they love it. And you also, it was also fueled by Shane having this cult following. Um, you know, pick a, pick a random comedian that that might have been as funny as Shane Gillis, let's say, but doesn't have an audience. Maybe like you know, 
come from improv, let's say. Someone that didn't have a podcast, didn't have that outlet to get out there. If it's just a random guy, I don't know that we're still talking about this story years later and they have this redemption arc uh, hosting the program because they don't have that cult following that gets them through. And that's another element of the uh, cancellation thing that I think people don't take into account because um, Shane had an audience already. It was a small army and this built to it for sure. Like, so when people say like, oh, cancel culture helps guys. I don't think that's true. I think Shane was doing stuff that people enjoyed. This allowed his name to get out there more. So like-minded people could check it out. Now there are also, you know, just blind right wingers that are like, I like this guy now, no matter what he does. But I think that dissipates over time. I don't think that's who Shane's fan base has become. I think it's just comedy fans that have realized how funny he is. Yeah. I also enjoy like a uh, uh, right wingers who are like, yeah, I like this guy. Now they start watching him and he starts doing like a, uh, you know, like Joe Biden material and then he switches well, it. Like, what that, the that hell? Was an, ele- an, an element of this, you forget. And he ta- I remember going back and listening to some of the pods he did around that time. Um, he talked about how his dad, you know, like the, the good guys on Fox news were defending Shane Gillis. So Phil Gillis, his father, was like, that's my boy. But then it came out, uh, Shane's joke about how Trump would be the funniest president to see assassinated. <laughs> yeah. And that's when they turned on him. They're like, this guy, he's no good. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what? They finally got one right. Get rid of this guy. <laughs> they never listen to that full joke either because it ends with talking about Biden getting punch assassinated, but they always stop it before that. <laughs> well, that I think that's what makes him a good comic it's the same with like burr and louis and even Chappelle. like Chappelle is clearly a liberal guy <laughs> right but not all of his views allow him to be boxed into that prism you know right uh so i think that's kind of what happens with the gray like norm norm was definitely like he had he was religious and had some of those values like you could definitely say he was a right winger but not on everything certainly and i think that those are the best comedians to me and even like a guy like Nick DiPaolo who's hilarious when you when he couldn't see past politics is when he kind of just fell off and moved to Georgia in a bunker and you know rants about such a every day such a bummer (laughs) what a waste let's get back on track here uh we got him uh on Ari's podcast talking about the apology yeah so if you guys want to check this out it's like a four hour podcast it's great um but it's very interesting. So Ari has, it's called uh, E-Rage is the name of the episode. Ari Shafir's Skeptic Tank, which no longer exists, but the episodes are still on YouTube. It's uh, Corinne Fisher, Steve Renazizi, and Shane Gillis, who all got canceled, quote unquote, for very different reasons. Um, and it's uh, it's very interesting. There's a, they, they cover, uh, like I said, it's four hours. They basically cover every aspect of it. And uh, I think it's a fascinating insight, but let's hear this part. We were there that night. It all happened in one day. In I had like NBC was like, you need to say this. They have like a script. They they sent you an apology. Wow. Yeah. Your name on. Really? Yeah. And I didn't realize it was a group text. I thought it was just my manager. So I was like, fuck that. I'm not apologizing. Fuck NBC. And I didn't realize they were in the group text. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, okay, then fuck you. And I was like, all right, let me talk to Lauren before you fire me. You're like, I'm sorry, who's it? Who's this? Yeah. <laughs> I was like texting yeah. and I was like, ah, shit. I'm- uh, the, the 917 number? Who's, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> um, but then Lauren was like, you got to give me something so I can keep you. You don't have to say that. Because I showed him what they wanted me to say. And I was like, I'm never going to say that. Because it was like everything I said was inexcusable, it was oh, really? disgusting. Yeah. Oh, God. All that. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to say that. 
this this is where I've I've either misunderstood Lorne's power at NBC uh, or he didn't want to use it or something. There, there's some disconnect here that's happening because in my mind, Lorne Michaels at this point, uh, you know, 40 some odd years into Saturday Night Live can do whatever he wants. Right. And tell people at NBC like, Fuck you. The kid made a mistake. We're keeping him. We're going to make a funny, uh, oh, you know, a cold open out of it. Like, it'll get great ratings. Shut up. If that's what Lorne really wanted. Mm-hmm. So either Lorne didn't really want that, or he doesn't have the pull that I'm imagining he does at NBC, because it seems like there's some weird thing, at least Shane believes, that, like, Lorne wanted to keep him but couldn't. And I don't know what that is. And again, maybe I'm just wrong about the power if, dynamic there or something. But if I had to guess, it would be uh, NBC, like the people that actually can go over Lauren's head. Yeah, they were probably getting hit with like advertisers pulling out or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I but I, again, I would I would think Lauren's been in the business long enough that he would understand that will dissipate. Like, but let's not forget also, I guess that this was at a time where this was just networks were panicking left and right. You know, 2019 was the peak of a lot of this stuff where it's like, just fire him. We don't want to let's, I don't want to deal with this. Leave me alone. (laughs) Um, So I guess there is some of that, but uh, so Lauren says, you know, you got to give me something to work with. Now, Shane was very smart. And I think through all of it, like of all the, the, Big cancel culture stories. Um, Shane has handled it seemingly better than anyone because he knew what traps not to fall into on both sides. Right. Um, So at this time, like I said, Shane has a small audience and he's in with a certain group of comedians. So he knows if he puts out a statement that is, I've, I'm horribly ashamed of right. uh, my past and, you know, this, this over the top gushing apology, begging, please, can I be on TV? Will you let me, please let me in part as part of the club. Uh, that would ruin him from a standup perspective. And he Was wouldn't have respect from like true comedy fans or even comedians in a lot of cases, which turned out to be um, the case anyway, which we'll get to. <laughs> Well, yeah, I no, and I'll tell you why that's not true later. <laughs> but um yeah, like I think like his his base would essentially turn on him. And if he does the other route of fuck you, like I'm all <laughs> right now, you know? Right. Ma- MAGA 2020. <laughs> right. If he starts doing that, then he becomes kind of an angry, bitter Anthony Cumia and Nick DiPaolo, one of these guys, where that's his whole world. Even what you've seen like Jim Brewer and Rob Schneider become in the last few years. Yeah, I think like if he did that, his audience would be smaller for sure. I don't know how much smaller, and I don't think it would be that much different. You know? Um. Oh, I think it would be vastly different. I don't think if he if he fell into like I'm a political guy now, I don't think he'd be on Netflix. I don't think he'd be doing any of that stuff. I don't think his sense of humor would change. He would just not placate as well. Much. And the, you're, you're, then, then you're talking about a different circumstance. What I'm saying yeah, yeah. is he falls into the trap. Oh, of, oh OK. Like I, I said, yeah, with yeah. Rob Schneider, go to Rob Schneider's Twitter right now. Oh. I guarantee you there's something in the last three tweets about the vaccine. It's, it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's mind numbing. So. Um, like he could have fallen into either of those traps, and he very smartly didn't. Now he did have one line in his apology, 
uh, where he, and that, and that's what he apologized for on his podcast. He goes, "Hey, everyone, I now have to give a real apology to this." When I said, uh, "I'm a comedian who pushes boundaries," but I don't, I don't think that was that douchey. It's funny to goof on him for, but I, what he was essentially trying to say is like, "Hey, I was going for something. I was on a podcast. I was fucking around with my buddy, and we made offensive jokes." Right. Now. Some comedians will talk say, well, the problem is the jokes weren't funny. I don't think it's the problem. I'll tell you why. Maybe it's why it got blown up to this proportion if you say it wasn't funny. Um, but my thing is you can take a snippet like that of any podcast, even the best, and say, oh, well, this two-minute chunk, I didn't get it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, of course you didn't get it. You didn't listen to the whole episode. You took You took a part out. And there was some bizarre conversation happening, and you're like, I don't understand this. Yeah, that's that's how it works. That's how it works with anything. Right. You know, it's why radio was so different because they had to be aware people are tuning in at any moment. Whereas with a podcast, there's no one that's tuning in 48 minutes in and just getting something entirely out of context. The people that are there are there for Matt and Shane, know what their comedy is, and if you check it out and don't like it, you can stop listening. Um, so this is where it got presented to a new audience and people were like, well, the problem is it's not funny. No, that's not the problem. <laughs> and the other thing people point to is like, uh, some people incorrectly defended Shane and were like, oh, you're digging up old stuff on him. That wasn't the case in this instance. This was only from like a year prior. One of the problems that Shane pointed to was that it's the one time now, now their podcast is entirely video, obviously as most are. Um, but at the time it was the only episode they had a video of. Right. They didn't do, they just posted the audio on YouTube, but they didn't do video at that time, Just randomly for this episode. They chose to, you know, see how it worked and posted the video. And Shane, I think at least somewhat correctly pointed out that, um, that hurt him in the sense of like people just wouldn't click an audio link. Right. So it's not, it's just not going to get the same traction that a video would like if that goes out on Twitter, more people are going to click on the video. Um, so I do think that had something to do with it, but it's just like uh, the idea that you're taking something entirely out of context and what that causes is like, not only was it out of context, but Shane was a young comedian at that time. That's the general tone of a lot of comedians is trying to throw out racial shit that maybe isn't that well thought out yet. Uh, or, you know, uh, sex related stuff like, you know, quote unquote, edgier topics that do push the boundaries. And, you kind of try and work with those. If you go to a, an open mic and record it, you could end up canceling 99% of those people probably easily because they haven't worked that shit out yet. And so what this did is call, it was another instance of causing a lot of young comedians to say, Oh, well, I won't even touch on a subject like that. If I go to Chinatown and see something, uh, you know, hypocrisy that I want to point out, I won't mention it because I'll never get SNL even if I think the bit is funny or if it's not fully formed yet or whatever the case might be. Yeah. Imagine if this came out before uh, shameless and Louie didn't do the duck pussy bit. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, because there's like whoever you find funny or brilliant or whatever, whether it's, you know, Carlin or Woody Allen or Dave Chappelle or whoever, um, their early stuff probably isn't great. 
Right. Like we talked about with Louis. If you listen to Louis's early stuff, he's not Louis yet. You know, whether you what maybe maybe you couldn't find something that would ruin his life the way this did with Shane at the time. Um, but you definitely won't think it's as funny as he was in 2010, you know? Exactly. Um next we have uh him on Matt and Shane talking about the intention. Yeah, so this is uh like a week later, basically, him kind of talking about the what was behind those clips that got circulated? Well, then it's like, do I want to go back and defend that clip? I mean, yeah, I do, but I know it's a waste of time. But to be like, fuck you guys, I think that fucking rules. <laughs> no, not to be like, yo, that was hilarious because it wasn't that funny. I mean, we were yeah. just sitting in this room talking. Yeah. Gibberish. Sure. But also, if I do something like that or say something like that, it's never, you know, in that clip. Mm hmm. I said, man, let the fucking chink slip that. Like with that yeah. fucking, not as hard. Sure. I should have done it harder to make it clear. Like the man. Yeah, but it was clearly to me, what I was going for was pointing out how dumb somebody would have to be to segregate a neighborhood. Yeah. And the type of words they would use. Now, what really sucks is having to break down comedy and explain anything. You know? Yeah. Like, to have to be like, this is what I was doing. Fuck it. I'm just going to keep going. We were and that, that's the mentality that's gotten him to the point that he is where he knew pleading with people was not the way to go in either direction. You know what I mean? Like trying to get his point across is probably the worst possible option. Cause a lot of things yeah. you're doing it on Twitter, you have to do it in text yeah. or if you're doing it in a video, it's you talking by yourself, which could go bad in a lot of directions. So there is no winning. Like when Lauren says, give me something, no matter how good the apology crafted was, it wouldn't be enough to satiate any of the people going after him. So what's the point of it at all? He just said, I got to just keep plowing forward and doing stand up." And it was uh, definitely the right call. But um, SNL obviously fired him. <laughs> I don't know if you guys caught of that yet. We didn't say it officially. But uh, after Lauren said, like, give me something. Uh, Shane still got fired and then put out a statement that ended with, I'm a mad TV guy anyways, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. But even that, um, I, I, I didn't remember this, but I listened to that episode, their first episode back of Matt and Shane. And I forgot about this part where uh, articles were written about that statement saying, oh, Shane is dog whistling because mad TV did X, Y, and Z racist sketches. Um, I think one that was used was like the Snickers commercial that they made on Mad TV, or uh, also Miss Swan, Alex Borstein's Miss Swan character. Mm -hmm. um, like stuff like that was pointed to, and they're saying, like, "See, he's dog whistling to this racist version of SNL." And it's like, "Oh, you want you don't want him to just be a guy that fucked up. You want him to be like an evil character." <laughs> and that's where, like, around 2019 and the years prior. That's where all the cancel culture stuff got really ugly, where it's like, you're not just saying this person made a mistake and shouldn't be rewarded for it. You're saying you're making villains out of these people. You want them to be evil. And that's where you start putting like the label white supremacist on people and these things. That's where it takes a turn of uh, insanity, I think. Yep. And, uh... Because a lot, a lot of what was happening then, and this is ultimately like, we don't talk about this stuff as much nearly as when like I started doing like the blind mic project. Yeah. I was very passionate about it then and it's dissipated over time. And I think that's 
because in society it's it's dwindled a little bit as well. But I think my biggest issue with it, like looking back, is no one was saying, hey, listen, the guy made a mistake. Maybe in a few years, if we see he's learned or whatever we want out of him, uh, we'll give him another chance. No, it was always, he's scum. Wipe him off the face. He can't be in our crowd. He's not allowed to be one of us. We need him on the, if he wants to clean toilets for a living, fine. But he's not allowed at the, at the, at this table, which was always kind of the gross part of it. It wasn't trying to correct a mistake. It was, you know, painting a scarlet A on someone's chest. Right. But next we have, and I don't think it's his fault. Maybe the biggest bomb in Joe Rogan history. Oh, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite clips. though. But, no, I, I blame some of Rogue. Well, I, I get part of the reaction, but uh, this is him telling on his first ever Joe Rogan appearance, telling him what he thought would save the day. And he, I guess he did say this to Lauren Michaels, like, Hey, listen, you guys can fire me. Who cares? I was like, whatever. I'll do. If I just, if I get fired here, whatever, I'll just go do Joe Rogan next week and I'll be fine. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was funny. No, what? I was like, uh, I literally thought, rewind a second. I, I want to hear that one that. again. <laughs> Rogan looks pissed. They they become good friends, so don't worry about this. Yeah, I mean, like he's one of the protect our parks boys. He's he's a Rogan staple now, Shane. But it looked like if if you just watched this clip, you would not think we'd be where we are now. Between <laughs> Ro- where Shane literally lives in Austin, you know, it doesn't get talked about enough how Rogan swapped out Shab for Shane. <laughs> I, I think he I think he upgraded. <laughs> I think so. Next week and I'll be fine. Anyway, I thought that was funny. No? What? I was like, <laughs> I, I literally thought I literally thought that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it'd be funny. <laughs> well, it could have been funny. <laughs> yeah. I was booked up though. No, it was fine. I Oh God. <laughs> I'll tell you why. So uh th- it is an example of like Rogan not getting a joke mm-hmm. as he's as he's known to do. Yes. Where he'll kind of take, like, you know, someone will, particularly someone like, that's why I'm surprised, like, Normand is such a regular on there, because Normand seems like someone that would throw these, like, goofy throwaway lines, and Rogan would be like, what do you mean by that? Tell me more. Theo Vaughn was a famous one. Yeah. So, uh, yes, there's part of that, but also, I actually think it's Rogan, almost in a way, like, being humble where he didn't understand what Shane was saying. Oh yeah. Because, because in comedic circles you were like, uh, or they were like, or even just as a fan, like you were saying, Oh, if he just does Rogan, then he'll get that crowd around him. Like it was a natural thought kind of, it seemed like perfect for a Rogan guest, the guy that got thrown off SNL. But in Rogan's mind, he was like, wait, 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 you expected me to, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What was I supposed to save you? He almost took it like, did I do something wrong? Why are you saying this? Right. right. Just <laughs> but shades like awkward pause and look a little shimmy. I just yeah, gets, wasn't that funny. I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was gets, funny. And then he went to go like, no, but I was dead serious. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think he recovered fine. <laughs> yeah, I think he's doing all right now. Yeah, yeah. they see. It seems like they've uh, <laughs> they're fine together. Uh, next here we have uh, uh, Shane on Skeptic Tank again, but he's talking about Nikki Glaser not having his back. Oh yeah, so we're gonna get into some of the celebrities that uh, talked about Shane Gillis at this time, and this is where again 
it, like people say, like, oh, cancel culture just made him bigger, whatever. This is something you have to overcome. And I think there's a lot of people that could have played this very wrong mm-hmm. because of this reaction, because of everyone doing this and kind of making you change who you are to fit into that crowd. So uh, Nikki Glazer's our first example where she was on Howard Stern shortly after this controversy. They're part of the reason I got canceled. Like it's an industry person being like, it was like, uh, ah, fuck it. Nikki, uh, (laughs) Glazer did Howard Stern and talked about how I should be fired. And then the next, yeah. And then the next time I saw her, she was like, have you seen, like, have you gotten help? Are you going to get help? Like, and I was like, help with who what? Who are these people? Like, like she was like, it's like PT. Like, yeah, she's like, it. I was like, you were, weren't you just on Howard Stern saying I deserve to be fired? So I, Nikki, they, they've, they've patched things up. Nikki apologized. And Nikki was on Bert's podcast, basically saying I, I was an idiot. She kind of did a full, like Mia Culpa. I, I, I fucked up. I shouldn't have said that. I was caught off guard when Howard asked me. Um, so, you know, whatever but there is this thing where comedians that were of a certain stature were supposed to say fuck you shane right there was a vibe of that like if you if you particularly if you had certain political leanings you were supposed to come out and say fuck shane gillis at this time and what I, that could the detriment that that could do to a young comics career I think is insane and hasn't been talked about enough. It's why I bring this particular instance up all the time. And when people say that like, Oh, he's fine now. Sure. Cause he's a very talented guy, but there's a lot of people that maybe aren't quite as talented or just weaker willed, you know? Right. Like if you don't have a strong will, this was a thing you might not have gotten through. And the idea that, you know, people were sending him death threats. And so like you piece of shit, like that could break someone so uh i remember norm got in a lot of trouble for this when he not not a lot of trouble but like people shit on him a lot when he said um that he reached out to i forget the order i believe he reached out to roseanne and said you should talk to louis ck or vice versa i forget which was which um because you're two of the only people on the planet that can understand what you went through And that's not even pro or anti what they went through. That's Norm saying like, hey, you guys were super famous. You were on the A-list and you had that swept away in one instance. So you should, you know, that's an interesting perspective. You should reach out to each other. And people said, fuck you to Norm for that. Right. So it's like these people had no compassion for anything any of the person was going through under the guise that they had done something wrong. Like they were on the righteous path because these were, like I said, evil villains. Now Shane was a guy like, at least you could say uh, Roseanne and Louie had made millions of dollars. They're fine. Whatever. Uh, Shane was living with a roommate at the time. Like he had just moved to New York city. He was barely featuring uh, for headliners. So he didn't have a career that he could fall back on. Now, luckily he's very talented and overcame that. But like I said, there's there's not this safety net that all these people are referring to. So people like Nikki Glaser would just go on and say like, ah, fuck him and not think anything of it, which is truly amazing to me. And like the media is one thing and the way they handled it. We all know how they are, but how some of the comics behave during this time, like, you know, 
Shane has forgiven them. It seems like he's fine with all these people. As a fan, I'll never get it out of my head. Like, even the next guy we're going to play, I'm a, a fan of his. But this is a moment that always stuck in my mind where I'm like, oh, you were a complete phony and looking for to, to like, ruin someone. Yeah, this is insane. This is a... Uh... So, Anthony Jeselnik? Yeah. And this is a guy, this is Anthony Jeselnik, a guy who uh, does very offensive material. Extremely. Um, in the in the grand, I don't, I'm, you know, not offended by it, but like if you're a regular person looking at the material typed out, for instance, this is going to be the top of the list on the offensive stuff. Sure. So this is, this was Anthony Jeselnik's take. Now, uh, what he's, I think, responding to is that uh, Jeselnik had a tweet when the story came out and said, I love the yearly tradition of ruining, um, I forget exactly how it was phrased, but basically like uh, letting someone get their dream and then immediately ruining it. Basically. <laughs> Talking about like digging stuff up on the new SNL cast. So everyone in Anthony's replies were like, are you defending Shane Gillis? And evidently that's not what Anthony meant, as he's about to tell us. This happens every year. Um, I think his apology was really bad. That like, I don't know if you, if you heard in the beginning of the podcast, Greg and uh, Eric and I talking about going to Chinatown for food, that's what got him into trouble because he was not able to talk about having lunch in Chinatown without uh, dropping s- several racial slurs and doing like basically the worst comedy I've ever heard. You know, I mean, just not even that offensive so much or stereotypical as just like hacky and stupid that I think if his apology had been like, hey... That's the worst joke I've ever done. I'm so sorry, you guys. I was just screwing on my podcast. Like, please don't judge me on that. I think he may have been okay. But him being like, you know what? Sometimes you got to take chances. And I'm not going to apologize for taking a chance of doing a Chinese accent. You're like, get out of my face. And so I tweeted, someone as someone who enjoys these things, I tweeted, uh, I truly enjoy the annual tradition of trying to destroy a new SNL performer on the happiest day of their life. All right. (laughs) This is like an hour after they announce he's going to be on. He's so happy. And then all this comes down. I meant in that tweet that I truly enjoy (laughs) watching this. And every single person who commented on my Twitter is like, I can't believe you have this guy's back. I can't believe you're like standing up for this guy. And there's a lot of comics who are, who are like, let's get rid of cancel culture. Let's, uh, this is ridiculous that he's being kicked off for what are jokes. The the joke thing doesn't matter here. There's such bad jokes. Right. It's not like he's a psychopath who's just like doing hate crimes on the air. He's just not that good. And he looks like, he looks like someone I would never, ever defend. He looks like all the things he's accused of doing. Right. He looks like a guy who commits hate crimes. (laughs) He looks like a guy who... Jesus. I mean, holy like, shit! Hey, want- that's, that's way worse than anything he said. They're literally stereotyping someone and talking about how bad it would be to be offensive like that. Yeah. Dress up like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man for Halloween, and he got sick of it halfway through. And was like, you know what? I don't need the costume. I'm just going to go like Hold on, hold on. Go back. Replay that just because I would say, hey, Anthony, that was, that joke wasn't that funny. Should that be... Is that the real crime here? That was an atrocious joke. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Anthony's saying, oh, the real crime is he wasn't funny. Well, then lock Jeselnik up. Because apparently, every time you attempt something that isn't that funny, uh, you should be be attacked. It's not like he's a psychopath who's just, like, doing hate crimes on the air. He's just not that good. And he looks like... He looks like someone I would never, ever defend. He looks like all the things he's accused of doing. Right. He looks like a guy who commits hate crimes. 
He looks like a guy who was, <laughs> they were like, hey, do you want to dress up like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man for Halloween? And he got sick of it halfway through and was like, you know what? I don't need the costume. I'm just going to go like this. So I'm not like, I don't think this is like a loss for comedy. I don't think this is a loss Oof. for anything. I think it might be a good thing in the long run uh, that comedians do less of this. But uh, people clearly hated him in Philadelphia, claimed he was a racist and a jerk. And I mean, this was ready to go. It wasn't <laughs> like they searched his tweets. Someone was waiting to put out this video of hmm. him doing the podcast. I'm I don't know why he said that like it's a good thing. Like, oh, this was clearly a planned operation to ruin this guy. Oh, good. <laughs> have, have, have him and Shane spoken? Um, You know, I don't. No, I, I know that Justin Lincoln said nice things about Shane in recent years. Nice. So that's where I'm like, I don't know. I, Shane's made like blanket statements to, to both, um, uh, <laughs> on both angles where he's like, there are certain guys that have talked shit about me that I'll never really forgive. There are other people that have reached out and I've patched things up with basically is what he said. And he hasn't really named names. Yeah. So I don't know about Jeselnik specifically, but this is like a brutal rant that he's doing where he's like, wipe this guy from comedy. And to me, part the worst part of it is that there's this undertone of Anthony saying, Hey, Hey guys, don't come after me. I'm with you. Right. I think he's a piece of shit. Don't mistake my joke. Don't, don't get offended by that. I'm one of you guys. (laughs) And that to me is the worst part is a guy like Jeselnik kind of panicking, uh, in that way and saying, oh, no, 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 go after him. Don't go after me. Keep going after him. Uh, here's Jeselnik again. Uh, he's done. Oh, yeah. Then, yeah. So you heard him talk about Shane's comedy there, which I think this is actually very telling him judging Shane's comedy and us now knowing what Shane is as a comedian. The humor offends me more than the actual content of it. Uh, so I have no problem with this guy not getting the job. And again, it's not like it's not like he was going to be president and now we're losing out in something great. It's like he's just a guy. He's just a, he's just one of those generic white guys they hire every year, never gets on the air. And at the end of the year, they're gone. Uh, so the, the, this is no loss. <laughs> just please do not think that I support him in any way. Oh, well, good. Well, Anthony, I would say... That clearly what this proves, I hope Anthony has learned his lesson over the last five years, because what this proves is comics do grow and change over time. And maybe a two minute clip doesn't define your entire comedic portfolio, as it were. It doesn't it doesn't define who you are, because believe me, I've listened to the JRVP podcast and there, there are certainly two minute chunks that I could take out and be like, hey, I guess Anthony Jeselnik just isn't funny. We just took one. <laughs> right. And that, so that's that's the ultimate. Uh, that's what was so bad from comedians to me about this. Now, there are a lot of other people that defended uh, Shane. Bobby Lee is one, mm-hmm. uh, an Asian American who came out and basically said, like, hey, like, I, I don't know. I make jokes like this. Like, is it that? crazy and you know there was kind of like the company line with everyone where it's like well this rant wasn't that funny and i hate that because again take two minutes from tiger belly there there are plenty of moments from tiger belly that you could suck out and be like hey this wasn't funny how do you explain that and then they would say oh well but it's not racist and it's like yeah but i thought the real crime was that it wasn't funny right funny jokes and unfunny jokes come from the same birth mike That's right. I've been trying to drill it into you people. (laughs) 
Uh, next, we have him uh, on Skeptic Tank again, uh, talking about fake comics. Okay, yeah. So this is the, uh, this is what I was referring to, where he has talked about um, people that have reached out to him in the past. How many people said shit to you, like in private, of like, ah, you're, you're still my friend. That doesn't matter at all. But oh. then, like, wouldn't go publicly. Everybody, everybody was like, <laughs> yeah, everybody. Out. It was like also a lot of people that shit on me privately apologize oh, later God. Or, yeah throughout yes because when i got people that publicly shit on you publicly later like, tweeted, on like fuck him he should be fired yeah. and then i'll see him at a club and they'll be like i, I didn't know that you were actually like a decent person because yeah. most people didn't know who i was i'd been in new york for like one year mm-hmm. so yeah whatever i don't get half of them i don't know who they are yeah or what I they just, said but, but i didn't read it. <laughs> so like randomly people will just apologize to me and i'll be like oh, i didn't even know you talk shit <laughs> but all right fuck you yeah <laughs> but to shane's credit he he again had a very wise perspective on all of this beyond his years because he looked at it and said like hey i did that to other people too because then clips started coming out um uh, or uh, quotes started coming out of him talking about guys like chris gethard mm-hmm. and judd apatow <laughs> yep so Shane, Shane, to be fair, did say like, hey, I was talking on my podcast about these guys to 4,000 people or whatever it was at the time. And I thought it was something no one would ever hear. I thought there's no way it's going to get back to Chris Gethard. So he's just shitting on him. So as a, as a slight defense of like Anthony Jeselnik, Nikki or Nikki Glazer, let's say, to them, it was just a guy in the news who they were shitting on. You know what I mean? Like th- that does happen where it's like a headline could come across you know, if if something came out on the like the New York Post tomorrow and we talked about it, like, oh, look at this fucking idiot. And then a couple of years later, we realize, oh, we're a fan of this guy. Oh, wait a minute. Is that the guy we talked about that had some article written about him where he looked like a fucking moron? <laughs> like that does happen when you're commenting, when you're talking for, you know, hours a week on topical things. I do understand that. And that's a perspective that Shane learned from guys like Chris Gethard. Yes. Which uh, here he is on Jim and Sam talking about um, what Shane had to say about him. And I actually, yeah, and I brought this up on, I think, Blind Mike Project the other day. Yes. Uh, and it's one of my favorite <laughs> clips ever because it's yeah, Sam Roberts. So, so Chris Gethard had a special come out uh, on HBO, I think. And it was very, it was about like his depression and his feelings. You know, put it this way. On the surface, it's clearly something that Shane would call gay. <laughs> So, so I guess people started digging up these quotes, which seems just unnecessary. Like you got your kill. Why well, hurt Chris Gethard's feelings? But but they did. Like so, you do this big HBO special, right? Yeah. And it's like very well, very well received amongst some people. Amongst some people, yeah, yeah. Was it not? Who didn't? <laughs> did like anybody it? really not like it though? No, I'm never mind. Never mind. We'll just move on. It's all good. It's all. Uh, good. Are you talking about Shane? A little bit. Yeah. Oh, little bit. okay. Yeah, yeah. What happened bit. with? Well, Shane had. Uh, I, Shane I guess Men Gillis. Oh, okay. mentioned uh, Chris um, in one of the podcasts. Uh, mentioned you and Judd, and you were. I think felt you were pissed about that. Yeah, I, I, he, he. He. Spent about 10 minutes explaining oh. why he didn't like that special and why he felt like it made me, as he put it, a white faggot. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's not the greatest Listen, thing. Right? These things happen. That's not the right? greatest Every once in a while, you get trashed by another yeah. comic who you've never met, and then you all move on with your Did life. You guys- <laughs> Sam Roberts breaking there was so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, 
Gethard, I don't think, was a particularly good sport about it, as we're about to hear. Mm-hmm. But again, in his defense, it's like you, you you get defensive in these moments the same way like I, as a fan of Shane's, hear that Jezelnik thing, and I'm like, fuck you. But it's like I had more of a perspective on what was happening than Anthony Jezelnik did. He just didn't look into it at all. He just didn't do his... He was... A, he was you know, it was a moment of ignorance. And I guess you could say that about Shane, where it's like he's talking as a guy who just saw an HBO special and shit on it. He wasn't talking as a guy who one day was going to be meeting or talking on the phone with Chris Gethard, you right. know? And uh, the Judd Apatow comment, if you're wondering, if you've never heard it before, uh, it's one of the more popular ones from this era, but he called Judd Apatow gayer than ISIS, which <laughs> is not, it, it's nonsensical. It doesn't mean anything. I don't know why they tried to be like, ah, he's a bad guy, right? It's funny. It's gibberish. Every time I hear that, it's the funniest shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's, 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 it's utter nonsense, but uh, some people got offended by it, I guess. But here's, so Shane and uh, Gethard talked, and here's Chris Gethard um, talking about that interaction. It turned out that we are at the same management company. Okay. So I believe someone gave him my number and said, can you please? There's, I had obviously been communicating with my managers about, I don't feel this is okay. And to put it lightly, when? so I got a text at about eight in the morning from him. that was like, hey man, it's Shane. When can we talk? And we got on the phone and uh, I said a bunch of stuff I had to say and uh, he apologized. So I was happy to let it go but I wasn't thrilled I wasn't thrilled this right. is still bother- it's one of those things where sometimes you forget that w- when we're bashing people we all do it like we feel like oh there's a real person there and then you guys talk and he's probably feel- he probably felt bad like fuck this is Chris a good dude and he Why probably did, feels you know? I would hope that he feels worse now because such a problem that he went through was that sort of comics trash and comics thing yeah and you know what I mean and sometimes you don't even realize that you're doing it. Yeah. If he hadn't called you a white faggot, would you still be mad that he criticized the special? I was more <laughs> mad about the stuff with the special. Like when I listened to what he said, when I saw the headline come, I had friends start texting me like, dude, what's going on? I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I Google your name and I see it's like all these headlines coming up. I was like, oh, this ain't good, man. And that was one of the things I said when, when he got me on the phone, he's like, how you doing, man? I was like, well, here's how I'm doing. Like, I got a five, at the time, I was like, I have a five-month-old son asleep in the next room and much bigger things to worry about than a person I've never met attacking me and it making national headlines. Like, that's how I'm doing. Like, and I kind of went off and... Well, I mean, you seem very worried about it. <laughs> he sounds like he's about to cry. I think Jim and Sam have the correct perspective as, as you know, being in broadcasting for many years. Like, there's a lot of instances, listening to Opie and Anthony, where Jim would go off viciously on uh, Steve, like he wrote about Steve Martin in his book, trashing him. And there's some stuff about uh, uh, him talking about like Pink Pink Panther and movies Steve Martin was doing. And then Jim had to like meet and interact with Steve Martin. And he was a Gene, like you know, he's a huge Kiss fan. Norton, mm-hmm. um, he went off on Gene Simmons once. And then like eventually you have to meet these people or see them again, whatever. And you're like, I'm not as angry as I was before. I'm not, the, I'm just not in the same headspace that I was when I was saying that, but now it's all documented and it gets back to these people. Right. So I do get Gethard's perspective of like, Hey, what the fuck, man, <laughs> where's this coming from? But I think if you're Chris Gethard, you also have to say like, well, Hey, this guy was part of a, a, a national media circus where he was getting shit on. So maybe I can have a little compassion in that regard, you know? 
Yeah. Um, but but it is interesting to hear kind of both sides where it's like, yeah, hey, Shane's trash people that bothers some of those people too. So he kind of gets how how it comes off and why you get angry about that, you know? Yeah. But not all comics were against him, as we're about to find out. No, so a lot of I think a lot of people had his back. Yep. Uh Jim Jeffries and Bill Burr specifically. Well, yeah, among others. This is just cancel culture. The guy shouldn't have been fired. It's just a couple of things back in his history. We're going to go through everyone's history, or are we going to get rid of every sketch that SNL has done that involves race? Like, I remember John Belushi dressing as an Asian man with a samurai sword. That was the whole sketch. <laughs> or, or, maybe, whole sketch. or maybe we could have... Bread. What was it, Mike Myers? He used to play a Japanese host like this, and if they got the question wrong, they had to cut their hand off. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember nothing that you did wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was smart. I Mine got cut at rehearsal. <laughs> Did they go back and also try to look at good things that the person might have done, or are they just looking for the bad stuff? Is it you just scroll through, help cat out of a tree? That's not it. <laughs> help grandmother walk across the street? That's not it. You know, I said something like... on a podcast. There it is. Yeah. I, you know what? <laughs> I mean, you could do that. You could honestly do that to anybody. So I don't get it. And then I don't get if you say something like that, you can't work in a sketch show, but like it's okay for what? He can work in a lumber yard? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's certainly going to meet more Asians there, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that to me, that Bill yeah. Burr point is my favorite one because it's such an elitist view. It's like you're trying to be progressive and, and look out for the little guy or be a voice for the voiceless. And yet it's such an elitist thing where it's like, yeah, you could drive trucks for a living. Or you could work at a, you know, you could be a fucking uh, lunch lady at a school cafeteria, but you can't be part of our crew because we are the elite. You right. can't be in this exclusive club. And that to me is the, the worst part of it where like, um, so Matt McCusker got shit for this as well. A little bit. A he was in bit. school. He was in school at the time. Right. And they tried to fuck with him there. Like some people would send stuff to the school and they tried to uh, get him kicked out basically. But in the grand scheme of things, Matt McCusker was not making headlines. You know, people were like Shane Gillis and Matt McCusker say racist things. Where if you look at that clip, just for what it is, there are moments where Matt is being more offensive than Shane. I don't think he uses any slurs in particular, but you could, you could spin it in a way if you wanted to, that Matt comes off worse than Shane in that clip. But the interesting thing is no one's saying, Hey, these men are bad. These are two bad guys. It was only, hey, the one guy that got an opportunity, we want to take something away from him. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. I'm not saying they should have gone after Matt McCusker. I'm saying it wasn't a moral stance of like, hey, no one should talk like this. It was purely, hey, the guy that got our thing that we like or we want, he shouldn't have that. He's not one of us. Correct. And uh, next we have our potential jump the shark moment where you write yourself into the story. <laughs> what? I'm just I'm listing people that defended Shane Gillis. Be big time. What do you mean? He didn't. I don't, <laughs> think, really? I don't think. Oh, I'm thinking of two eyes, blind eyes, Mike, whatever, <laughs> blind right? Mike, blind, blind Mike. Mike. Yes, dude, blind Mike's the man. <laughs> it's no big deal. It's not. Listen, I'm just like you guys. I put my pants on one leg at a time. <laughs> yes, dude, blind Mike's the man. <laughs> Pretty good. To the uh, soundboard, please, if you would. <laughs> Put it in the outro. <laughs> oh yeah, it should be in the outro. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I did. I don't remember why. Steve Robinson asked me to write something, 
he never did that before. I don't remember why that was. And then the next time I wrote something, I was told I am no longer allowed to write anything for Barstool Sports. <laughs> Your privileges <so>. got taken <laughs> away. <laughs> In fact, it was not long after that I was told not to utter their name. <laughs> I wanted to keep my employment. <laughs> But in that moment, I was uh, I was on the righteous path. I defended Shane, and but, but that, like again, that's where he's had a good perspective on that. Is like I'm a nobody, but he did recognize people that had his back, you know. Yeah, and, and uh, he was pretty tapped in, I would say, to being yeah, aware. He did, he did, I, that's that's the obviously I wanted to pat myself on the back, but also the ultimate point is he noticed absolute nothings that defended him. You know. Yeah. Uh, which I imagine means a lot. Like in those moments when the fucking world is attacking you, the uh, Luis J. Gomez was probably the best example where in that podcast, he said, uh, Luis J. Gomez has been taking care of my light work. He's <laughs> just on Twitter going after guys like Jake Flores. <laughs> but Louis, the two guys, the two guys that I give a tremendous amount of credit for helping comedians like through that era of cancel culture, whatever you want to call it. I, I, I use that word, that phrase too much, but whatever you want to call it, that era of comedy, uh, Ari Shafir and Louis J Gomez would the two be the two guys who would absolutely defend these guys, no matter what like, had, had their backs and also gave them opportunities, like had them on their podcast to promote, uh, you know, brought them to skank fest, all that kind of stuff. Um, like the, those two guys have been huge for comedy. I think in the last, 10 years and probably don't get enough credit for it. Correct. Uh, next we have our favorite segment, the beginning of our favorite segment. Yeah. So this guy, I mean, Norm was one of the, uh, Shane's biggest defenders and really went after SNL. Like he was disgusted by the way uh, SNL handled all this. Yeah. He tweets out uh, at Shane Gillis. Hey Shane, I'm so sorry. I can't even imagine how you must feel the work it takes to get that show and to have it snatched away by some guy who does spoken bird poetry. <laughs> I forgot that Norm weighed in on Seth Simons. I, I don't even remember. <laughs> Unacceptable. Please DM me, pal. When you have a moment, I'm so sorry. Um, and the people didn't really uh, enjoy that he tweeted that. Norm was out. getting a lot of shit for that. Oh yeah, he was getting a ton of shit for that. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. That's what's great about Norm is he didn't give a fuck, you yeah. know. But um, he would like Norm was tapped in because he would text with like Joe List and people like that, like. He was tapped into younger or like up and coming guys at the time and would reach out and uh, be very supportive of him, of them, it seems. So uh, shout out to Norm for that. Was that it? Oh, there's a few. Uh, Some guy responds and says, how hard is it to just not punch down, though, and then also not go out of your way to publicly support the dude who punched down? And uh, Norm quote tweeted it and said, it's not hard at all. Being a cowardly liar is the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody punched down. Don't be so fucking stupid. <laughs> that guy also implying that just making fun of Asians is punching down. Well, that, that's a good point, too. But I just like that he calls him a cowardly liar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the man has missed so much. Uh, and then this same guy says, recognizing power dynamics and using that frame to judge someone else's action is not racist. I know you feel personally attacked by all of this somehow, but consider reflecting instead of feeling so defensive. And Norm says, shut the fuck up. You don't know a goddamn thing about stand-up comedy. You sound like a guy that would vote for Trump. <laughs> 
That's interesting. Turn it on them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you sound like a Trump supporter. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, someone said, uh, Norm, yet again, you have a giant crap on your face and you look like a crap head. You old fool. Uh, go back to the retirement home slash crap store where you work. And he just goes, you, you make a good point. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting to me. And I think it speaks volumes about the internet. Cause like to me, I hold Norm in such high esteem and like even he had people being like, Hey, shut the fuck up. You old asshole. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but there's more if you want to keep going. If not, we, oh, we, uh, let's do one more. Yeah. Yeah. That, Dan guy again said, uh, now that I've been uh, angrily quote tweeted by Norm Macdonald twice, I feel like I have a real view into thoughtful perspectives and other points of view. Twitter is such a useful and constructive platform. And Norm quote tweeted that and just said, Dan, I just reread my tweets and you are completely right. And I was wrong. Sincere apology. Uh, I would like a civil conversation with you. Oh, that's nice. Good for Norm. <laughs> I don't think he means that though. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so the, the reason Norm fits perfectly into this conversation is because, as we mentioned, Shane will now be hosting Saturday Night Live. And I thought for sure this would happen. I didn't think it would happen so quickly. He's not at a level now where it's a clear, like, they have to have him on, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I give I give Lauren credit for being like... Yeah, let's ruffle some feathers. I want to bother people. I want to read one more. Here. Oh, okay, please. Uh, someone named Alice Chin responded and said, "Wow, Norm Macdonald doesn't even name the guy Seth Simons who did us all a favor by exposing this racist work." Uh, good luck traveling back to nineteen uh, eighteen sixty two with Shane Gillis, where his material was quote edgy. And Norm says, "Alice, honey." Trust me, I'm a comedian. <laughs> I'm a comedian and I listened to what he said. None of us consider it edgy at all. And Shane does not consider it edgy. It is only you, lady, who find it edgy. <laughs> now go back to 1862 with you where you can buy a slave, you racist. <laughs> and that's a good point, too, because it's not like I don't imagine man Shane did that podcast. And we're like, we were so fucking edgy today. Yeah. Just, they were bullshitting, you know? Right. Right. Um, but yeah, no. <laughs> at least Seth Simon's finally got his proper credit. That's insane that Norm fucking did that. But, but yeah, I mean, he, he looked at it and like he was part of this operation. Like SNL was a huge part of his life. And he was just like, what the fuck are they doing? Why would they do this to a young comic? And he really thought it was wrong. And I give Norm credit for like loudly speaking out against that and reaching out to Shane and everything. Um, but yeah, so Shane is hosting now, and Lauren will do the things like this from time to time, like having Chappelle on and Elon Musk or Trump when he had him on. Like Lauren's not afraid to bring in a host that will annoy everyone, mm -hmm. which I, I kind of do like. Um, but there are a couple different elements to this. First, I would say, like, is Shane going to go on and play along? Because this is like an institution that basically said, fuck you, you're scum. We don't want you here. Um, you know, like he's, he's kind of towed the line of like, everyone did what they were supposed to do at the time. The media misreported everything. Uh, the SNL crowd and the theater kids got offended by it. His guys had his back and the alt-right made a spectacle out of it, like invoking uh, political correctness. So like everyone played their role correctly. 
but this is a, this could be a powder keg where everything blows up in the sense of like, is Shane crossing over? Is he going to tell the SNL world to go fuck themselves? How he plays this could be very interesting, I think. Yep. And uh, um, there's one man <laughs> that everyone is comparing this instance to. I've seen this mm-hmm. get uh, posted on TikTok a bunch, and like people are saying this could be Shane's norm moment. Now, my prediction is that it will not be. I think Shane will get some good digs in. Yep. I don't think he's as vindictive as Norm. So I don't know if we should expect this monologue, but to me, it's the greatest monologue in SNL history. We did a whole episode about it uh, when Norm got fired from Saturday Night Live and then in a much quicker turnaround, I think within a year, uh, Norm was asked back to host. And this is what he had to say. Opposite. So, so you see, they like uh, they fired me because they said that I wasn't funny. You know, now, now with most jobs, I could have had a hell of a lawsuit on my hands for that. But, but see, this is a comedy show. So they got me. You know, you know, what? you know. What? But now this is the weird part, right? It's only a year and a half later, and now they asked me to host the show. So I wondered, I go, hey, wait a second here. Hey! I go, how did I go in a year and a half from being not funny enough to be even allowed in the building (laughs) to being so funny that I'm now hosting the show? How did I suddenly get so damn funny? inexplicable to me because a year and a half let's face is not enough time for a dude to learn how to be funny (laughs) then it occurred to me I haven't gotten funnier the show has gotten really bad (laughs) so yeah I'm funny compared to you know well you'll see later Okay, so let's recap. (laughs) The bad news is, I'm still not funny. (laughs) The good news is, the show blows. (laughs) All right, folks, we got a bad show for you tonight. Dr. Trey, (laughs) Snoop Doggy Dog, and Eminem are here. Uh, probably the only guy who's ever said that in uh, SNL monologue history. We got a bad show for you tonight. (laughs) That's fucking great. (laughs) It's... So perfectly done. And Shane's such a Norm fan. Like, I hope I hope he pulls that off and makes it his own in his own way. Like I said, I think he'll have some jabs in there for sure. Will he dedicate his entire monologue to fucking with them? I actually don't think so. I think he'll do some regular stand-up in there. Um, but I do hope he does. Now, the legend that goes along with that monologue is that Norm's original plan was to do that and get the fuck out of there. Just leave. Mm -hmm. But he said he didn't want to fuck over like the cat. He was still friends with a lot of the cast and the writers and uh, all the, all the people involved. It was only a year ago. He knew a lot of these people that were still involved with the show. So he's like, I'm not going to do that to them just to fuck over Don Olmeyer, you know? Right. (laughs) Um, Whereas Shane has no connection to any of these people. (laughs) Right, but that, so, that's why like uh, Norm would was more comfortable 
than Shane's going to be being there and he's used to that, it. That's a good that's a good point too. In my mind, like, oh, he doesn't mind if he offends them, but you're right. It is like an uncomfortable environment where you're like, and all these people are gonna be judging you. You know, like you're not part of their crowd. They have these preconceived notions of you coming in. So I don't know. He like I wouldn't necessarily blame him as a people pleaser myself if he just kind of goes along and but it'll it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And that that's why I was torn over whether we should do this episode before or after to see how it all goes. Mm-hmm. But I figure uh it makes more sense to do it before. You know, it'll be talked to to death by the time um uh SNL debuts. So uh I figure do it before and then we'll break it all down after on the Blind Mike project in uh, the week following. So Go to make blind, sure you guys check that out. Blindmike.net. Go subscribe to that show as well. Yeah, please, if you wouldn't mind, check out the Blind Mike Project, who are these socials and this podcast, all three shows that I host. Um, and uh, all the links are there at blindmike.net. On Sundays, we go live at 10 a.m. On Thursdays, over on the Who Are These Podcasts YouTube channel, we are live at 6 p.m. Um, so you can always check that out. And then this show, I never say this, this show drops on YouTube Wednesday nights. You get it a little earlier than the audio release. So on uh, Wednesday night, you can check it out on YouTube at 8 p.m. Um, so always make sure you check that out if you're an audio listener that uh, wants to check out the YouTube. But subscribe everywhere. And if you want early access, uh, bonus content, or just want to support the show, then become a Patreon or YouTube member. We appreciate that. And uh, we'll be keeping our eyes on Saturday Night Live to see how that all plays out. Go support Craig. Verygoodshow.org is all the stuff that Craig does. Um, Rubbed Out is true crime podcast and Very Good Show. So you can uh, check all that stuff out, support the boy, become a Craigophile, <laughs> and uh, we will talk to you guys next time on Why You Left. Yes, dude. Blind Mike's the man. Zip it up and zip it out. Yeah.